edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chance House on Thursday the 6th of February. I'm Jenny Tansin, with me reading the news are... Sue Perry, Gloria Chapman, and Brian Edwards. Duncan Wynne is our engineer, Carol Hartle and Jay Poppenwell are working on the administration, and this week's copying team are Bernard and Doreen Potter and Janet Bailey. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are Disgraceful Oscar photos used in scam Guilty sexual predator jailed I was almost killed by a drink driver Armed teen dealer spared prison term NHS no killer virus cases at hospital and Dad's legacy will help Vets. And I'll pass you over to Sue for the first headline. The family of Oscar Saxelby Lee say they have been left sickened after internet fraudsters set up fake profiles using pictures of the five-year-old in his hospital bed. Oscar's mum, Olivia Saxelby, slammed the fake profiles set up on Facebook and Instagram as disgraceful and insensitive after they started using pictures of her seriously ill son with one link to a scam fundraising page. She has begged for those behind the sick posts to stop exploiting Oscar's situation. Oscar from St John's, Worcester, is currently in hospital in Singapore receiving treatment for a rare form of leukaemia and his family have been updating supporters on social media channels under the name Hand in Hand for Oscar. Their online campaign helped raise £600,000 so the family could take Oscar to Singapore for pioneering CART treatment in a bid to cure him of T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukaemia. Recent tests showed the treatment is working, but his family say they have been hurt afresh after discovering that fake profiles using pictures of Oscar, Olivia and Oscar's dad, Jamie Lee, were being shared online. One account uses pictures of Oscar and his mum under the heading A Brace to Arthur or Hug Arthur and asks for money for special milk. Another shows pictures of Dad Jamie sat at Oscar's hospital bedside. Miss Saxelby Lee said, The most upsetting thing about these profiles is the insensitivity of the people behind them. They clearly do not see our heartache, daily pain and suffering or these would not exist. Miss Saxelby said the situation was made worse by the inaction of Facebook, which also owns Instagram. She said despite reporting the fake profiles, the platform had failed to delete them. She said, I noticed it last week and we confronted them. People have been reporting, but unfortunately Facebook kept responding with, we haven't received an acceptable ID that matches the information listed on the account. We have provided ID to prove Oscar's identity, but still nothing. Facebook needs some sort of page support with people working behind the scenes directly with users if a problem ever occurs like this. 
the family has contacted Worcester MP Robin Walker for help and he said he would be appealing to the social media giant to act. He said, it's appalling for people to take advantage of the situation like this and clearly this is something that Facebook and any online service provider ought to take very seriously. Mr Walker said the issue was complicated because Facebook is a multinational platform with one of the fake profiles appearing to have been set up in Brazil. (coughs) But, he added, there is a responsibility for Facebook to deal with this issue and this is exactly the kind of thing which deserves a prompt response. Nigel Huddleston, Mid Worcestershire MP and Assistant Government Whip, said he had been involved with work at the Department of Digital Culture, Media and Sport to bring in laws forcing social media companies to act. He said, Facebook accounts to exploit somebody in a desperate situation like Oscar are despicable. Mr Huddleston said social media companies had already committed to take down harmful online content but often didn't act as quickly as they should. The headline for Monday, February the 3rd. I was almost killed by a drink driver. A young man says he's lucky to be alive after he was hit in the head by a gate when a drunk driver rammed his way out of a locked car park. Frank Richardson, aged 21, suffered a fractured skull and bleed to the brain and says Worcestershire Royal Hospital staff saved his life. He described the horror crash after drunk driver Benjamin Elvey was given a suspended prison sentence for crashing through the gates outside the Severn Valley Railway in Kidderminster, unintentionally sent them flying into Frank, who was eating the Chinese while waiting for a train at the nearby station. I was lucky it hit the front of my head, he said. If it hit me anywhere else, it would have finished me. Describing the crash, he said, I could hear a car rev really loud and the next minute I was lying on the floor covered in blood. I can't remember anything after that. Worcester Crown Court heard Elvie, also aged 21, had locked himself inside the car park of the Severn Valley Railway in the incident on April the 7th last year. After calling security to unlock the gate, he decided not to wait for them to arrive and instead smashed his car through the barrier, which knocked over Frank as he was standing by the entrance. The right side of the gate was ripped off as Elvie crashed into it, while the left side swung open and hit Frank on the head. Frank, from Cutnell Green in Droitwich, was taken to A&E at Worcestershire Royal Hospital. He said, I was in and out of consciousness. I didn't know the severity of my injury. I have been in hospital before when I got burnt, so I know why the nurses loiter around before telling you what has happened. I then called my parents, as I thought I was going to die. Frank was in hospital overnight and was operated on the next morning. His skull was realigned and his forehead was stitched up. The hospital saved my life. Until something happens to you, you don't know how incredible the NHS is. The staff at the hospital were amazing. Luckily, my skull has healed and all is left is a scar on my head.
Frank has been having occupational therapy since October, as the accident has left him with short-term <coughs> memory loss and anger issues. He said, It has affected my life. Last year was hard, and I have lost so much. I couldn't drive for six months, and I live in the country, so it was so difficult to get on with my life. I couldn't work or do any of my hobbies. I am doing pretty good now. It's just my anger and forgetfulness which is annoying. It makes things that I want to do more difficult. Elvie from Cheltenham pleaded guilty to inflicting grievous bodily harm and criminal damage on January the 3rd. The crash happened on April the 7th last year at around 10.30pm in Station Drive, Kidderminster. He will be forced to do 275 hours of unpaid work to be completed in 12 months and was given 20 months suspended for two years. Elvie has been banned from driving for 20 months and fined £200 for drink driving. He was further ordered to pay £525 towards court costs. Frank says he wants justice to be served, adding... I want him to go down for the 20 months. I think it's good what he got, because if he puts one foot wrong, he is in big trouble. And hopefully it's an eye-opener. What on earth he was thinking, I have no idea. A spokesman for Worcestershire Acute Hospital's NHS Trust said Frank's gratitude was welcomed. Our dedicated staff work day in, day out, to provide the best possible care to patients. So we're delighted to hear that the outcome in Mr Richardson's case has been so positive, the spokesman said. We will be sure to share his thanks with the team involved in his care and wish him well in his recovery. Our next headline is from Saturday the 1st of February and reads, Guilty, Sexual Predator Jailed. A sexual predator has been jailed for six years after he assaulted a sleeping woman in her own bed. Daniel Edwards was convicted by a jury of assault by penetration at Worcester Crown Court yesterday following the attack in a flat in Warnden, Worcester, in the summer of 2013. The victim, a grandmother, who gave evidence without a screen to protect her identity, has been praised by police and the sentencing judge for her bravery. Edwards, aged 28, who was living in Warnden at the time, but now lives in St Agatha's Road, Pershaw, was cleared of assault by penetration against a girl aged 13 to 15 in Warnden, Worcester, which was alleged to have taken place between 2008 and 2011. The jury also cleared him of trespass with intent to commit a sexual offence after he claimed, climbed in through a woman's kitchen window. Regarding the sexual assault, the guilty verdict was delivered by a majority of 10 to 2 after the jurors failed to reach a unanimous verdict. While the jury accepted that Edward sexually assaulted the woman, their verdict of not guilty for the trespass offence meant they did not believe he entered her home with the intention of assaulting her. The jury had been out four hours and 28 minutes when the foreman announced the verdicts 
and these were greeted with gasps and later with sobs from the public gallery. Edwards, carrying a bag and wearing a dark suit, showed little emotion as the guilty verdict was returned. He was led down into the cells. In the summer of 2013, the woman woke up to discover Edwards, who was half-naked, sexually assaulting her using his fingers. To begin with, she thought she was having a bad dream, then feared she was going to be strangled. In his closing speech, Adam Weston, for Edwards, had tried to suggest to the jury that the sexual assault was in fact a vivid dream, perhaps brought on by a cocktail of cider, Bacardi and Valium. But in the end, the jury believed her and not him. When she woke up, the victim swore, asking Edwards what he was doing and told him to get out of her house. He denied any assault took place, claiming he only shook her to wake her and was simply looking for somewhere to stay because he was locked out of his home. The same woman had previously told Edwards she was old enough to be his mum as she rebuffed him. The court heard how he was punched in the face and suffered two black eyes after allegations came to light. Judge Nicholas Cole said she was fast asleep and having entered her bedroom, you decided to assault her sexually. The assault took place despite the woman wearing pyjamas, cycling shorts and sanitary products, the judge said. Judge Cole added she initially didn't know what was happening. She had to summon the courage to turn around because you were behind her in the bed. The effect on her has been ongoing. She's described of not being able to sleep at night and that is understandable given that you invaded the sanctity not only of her home, but her bedroom, late at night. The judge said that the offence was aggravated because it was committed in the early hours of the morning and by the fact that Edwards had been drinking. However, he balanced this against the defendant's relative youth at the time of the offence and his lack of previous convictions. The judge, though, jailed him for six years half of which he can expect to serve in custody and the remaining half on licence in the community. As a convicted sex offender, he is subject to notification requirements for an indefinite period. This means he must inform police of any change of name or address and is also barred from working with children or other vulnerable people. Speaking after the hearing... The victim, aged in her 40s, said that she'd wanted an apology from Edwards but had never received one. To her, this suggested that he had no conscience about what he'd done to her. If he'd apologised, she said, I'd have, been, I'd have told him to get help. I'm still sad, she said. I take no pleasure from this. It's a whole sad scenario for him and his daughter. But... She also spoke of the impact on her and her family. She said her daughter wouldn't let her grandchild come to the house because of what happened. She doesn't think it's safe. The woman, who cannot be identified, often now sleeps on the sofa of her home because she cannot bear to sleep on the same bed where she was assaulted. She's also suffered some mental health problems and has had to see a psychiatrist and has been prescribed antidepressants. 
Fighting back tears, she said she hoped the verdict could begin to bring her closure. She said, I still can't believe it's real. Speaking of Edward, she said, well, he's a sexual predator, but I think women are safer now. She also wished to thank West Mercia Police and her friends who had supported her every day at court. They've been my rock. I couldn't have done this without them. Worcester CID Detective Inspector Tony Garner said, We do welcome the sentencing of Daniel Edwards. The victim has shown incredible bravery in coming forward, and although there may be more tough times ahead, I do hope this sentence will help her have a sense of closure. If you have been a victim of sexual abuse recently or in the past, please contact West Mercia Police on telephone 101. Anyone who's a victim of any sexual assault who feels they may need support or may not want to contact the police can be in touch with West Mercia Police's Victim Advice Line, which is a free, independent and confidential support service. People can call 0800 952 3000 or visit www.victimadviceline.org.uk. The headline for Tuesday, February the 4th. Armed teen dealer spared prison term. An armed teenage dealer has been spared jail for peddling skunk cannabis in Worcester after officers were alerted by the strong smell of the drug. Tyler Williams was spared jail at Worcester Crown Court yesterday after he was found with deals of cannabis in the car and a rounder's bat under the driver's seat of his car as police swooped. The 18-year-old admitted possession of cannabis with intent to supply and having an offensive weapon, the rounder's bat, after he was arrested in the A4440 Nunnery Way in Worcester on February the 21st last year. Williams was just 17 at the time he was caught. Officers became alert to the defendant's activities because of the strong smell of cannabis coming from his Vauxhall Corsa. Paul Whitfield, prosecuting, said officers found 10 deal bags concealed in the wheel arch and a further 30 to 40 deals in a rucksack in the boot. The total value of the drugs was placed at £500. He added, The rounder's bat was underneath the driver's seat, which would have been accessible to the driver. Williams also had £65 in cash, which was seized by police along with an iPhone, a Nokia phone and a debit card. Officers also raided his home address in Springfield Street, Birmingham, where they discovered two more mobile phones, some cannabis seeds and a pair of scales. The phones yielded evidence of drug-dealing messages, including incoming messages requesting drugs. In police interview, Williams claimed the cannabis was for personal use, although he admitted the offences at a plea and trial preparation hearing at the Crown Court on January the 13th. Williams had a previous drugs conviction for possession of heroin, cocaine and cannabis resin, for which he received a referral order as a youth. James Bryce, defending, said his client had been smoking cannabis for a long time despite having no means and no job and therefore runs up a drug debt. 
Mr Bryce asked the judge to bear in mind Williams was only 17 at the time of the dealing and to consider a reduction in the sentence as a result. He attended a special school from the age of eight onwards through to the time he left school at 16. He appears to have a significant shortfall in decision-making and cognitive thinking, which should be assessed, said Mr Bryce. The defendant was supported by his mother at court, described by Mr Bryce as a very sensible woman. Judge Nicholas Cartwright said, Cannabis may be a Class B drug, but it did enormous harm to the people who use it and therefore society. He said, Everybody knows about the psychological damage that can be done by using strong skunk cannabis, the psychosis and the other mental health problems it can cause. The judge said Williams had been dealing cannabis despite already receiving a referral order and was put under pressure to supply the drug to pay off the debt. Judge Cartwright asked him, What did you expect? You weren't paying them for the cannabis and they weren't going to let you off. However, the judge balanced this against the defendant's youth at the time and that Williams was lightly convicted. He gave him a community order for two years and 160 hours of unpaid work. Program up to a maximum of 35 rehabilitation activity requirement days, but said it was his last chance. The judge also ordered Williams to pay £535 prosecution cost at a rate of £10 a week. And this headline is from Wednesday, February the 5th. NHS chiefs say there were no new cases of coronavirus yesterday after a video showed a man wearing a protective suit while emerging from an ambulance at Worcestershire Royal Hospital. The NHS in Worcester and nationally refused to comment on why the man was wearing the suit after members of the public who saw him raised concerns that the activity may be linked to the killer virus which has now hit the UK. But a national briefing released at 2pm yesterday said that there were no new cases in England. A video circulating on social media, shows the unidentified man getting out of the back of an ambulance owned by West Midlands Ambulance Service at the city's hospital. When the Worcester News contacted Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust and the Department of Health and Social Care, neither would comment on the video and situation at the Royal. A statement published on the Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust website said... All of our services are operating as usual and patients should not be concerned. If you have a hospital appointment, please attend this as planned. In the video, a woman wearing a purple top with senior sister written on the back can be seen watching a man in a hazardous material suit getting out of the back of the West Midlands Ambulance Service vehicle. Another woman, wearing a disposable apron and face shield, holds open an orange bag, but the video ends before the purpose of the bag can be determined. Written over the 25-second video by the person filming is the caption, Hazardous Material Suits at Worcester Hospital. They've blocked people from going anywhere near it. It is not known when the video was taken. Meanwhile, two women from Worcestershire have self-quarantined after returning from China amid coronavirus fears. 
Lauren Bath, 26, and Katie Davis, 27, both from Worcestershire, placed themselves in isolation after returning to the UK this week. China's Health Commission reported on Sunday there have been 361 deaths and more than 17,000 cases of the deadly virus after the outbreak began in December. Miss Bath was visiting Miss Davis, a nursery teacher living in Shenzhen, at the end of January when they were forced to cut their trip to Beijing short. Miss Bath told the Press Association... I was due to fly home on January the 30th, but woke up to a call the day before seven a- before at 7am. I was told I had to come home immediately. Miss Bath flew home to the UK, while Miss Davis returned to her flat in Shenzhen. However, the virus continued to spread, with more than 500 cases reported in the Shenzhen area. Miss Davis compared her town to a post-apocalyptic zombie movie. She said, My school was closed, although they said it will reopen on February the 17th. I have also been told this is very optimistic. I wasn't leaving the flat, and when I did go out, the streets were deserted. Although her town was not locked down, residents were encouraged not to go outdoors and to wear a face mask when they did so. My flatmate developed a cold and then I heard the British Embassy was evacuating all non-essential staff. That was when I decided to come home, she said. At a last-minute flight home, cost more than £1,000, her friend set up a fundraiser to help with the cost. She arrived home at 7am on Monday. Everyone on the flight home was wearing face masks. We only took them off to eat. It was not a relaxing environment, knowing that you could be on a flight with someone who has the virus, with the air being recirculated. My dad picked me up from the airport, but I did everything I could to avoid contact. We didn't touch, and I wore a face mask the whole way home. I sat in the back, trying to put as much space between us. No one else touched my suitcase either. The women are now avoiding all contact with members of their family and the public, wearing face masks when going outside and using antibacterial sprays and wipes. Miss Bath, who works in a medical setting, is working from home to reduce infection risks. She said, We are taking each other's temperatures every day and avoiding close contact with anyone. More than 90 British citizens have been evacuated from the city of Wuhan, which was placed in lockdown a week ago. British Airways and Virgin Atlantic have both grounded flights to mainland China, with up to 35,000 passengers believed to be affected. The government's Foreign and Commonwealth Office has asked for all UK nationals to leave China as concerns over the virus increase. The headline for Thursday, February the 6th. Dad's legacy will help veterans. The daughter of a former Worcester mayor has used his legacy to help transform the life of veterans. Dawn Turner used money left to her by Dad Ray to create a charity in a bid to help others after her father, brother and sister all died in the same year. Just four months later... Miss Turner and partner, Perminder Cundy, are about to expand their charity, Stepway, 
thanks to amazing support in the city. The couple decided to try to help veterans because both Miss Turner's sons have served and her late father, Ray Turner, Mayor of Worcester in 1992, was a Korean veteran. Miss Turner said she was also spurred on by her own experience after her sister killed herself. Her brother lost his battle with alcoholism and her father died from a broken heart after losing his wife all in the same year. Miss Turner said, The grief and loss spurred me on even more. I want to use my experience to help others. If I can save one person, it will have all been worthwhile. She added, Some veterans find it incredibly hard to adapt to civilian life. They become indoctrinated as soldiers. They live in survival mode and follow orders. They are so used to regiment and discipline that when they come back onto Civvy Street, they are met with overwhelming freedom and many fall through the net. Veterans often end up homeless, in prison or with substance misuse issues. Most suffer with complex mental health issues such as PTSD and without support cannot be accepted to reintegrate into society. Some of our boys left the army when they were young men and are coming to us in their 50s, having been battling with PTSD and trauma alone for years. Miss Turner and Mr Cundy believe that 23,000 veterans in Worcester were falling through the cracks after being signposted to different places and services. Now, Stepway provides a drop-in centre every Thursday at the Salvation Army and also delivers a seven-step civilian skills programme every Tuesday at the Guildhall. Their charity offers a multitude of support under one roof and they are working with the NHS, the Food Bank, Relate, DWP, Swanswell and both the City and County Council to give veterans access to all that they need. Mr Cundy said he had never served but had become immersed in veterans' stories. He said it astonishes me how veterans actually suffer. They are far too strong-willed to ask for help, even when they desperately need it. I get such a buzz from watching them transform in front of my eyes. We had one guy who lived out in the sticks and was essentially trapped because he was too anxious to use the bus. We started taking him food packages down and now he comes and engages with us. He burst into the drop-in the other day to tell us he had taken the bus. Another chap came in and didn't speak to anyone. His eyes were fixed on his shoes. Now he is the life and soul. It's brilliant. Our next report comes from Saturday, February the 1st and relates to the expansion of our local St Richard's Hospice. The second stage of a major development to build a bigger hospice in Worcester is now underway. The 5.3 million expansion at Wildwood Drive is known as St Richard's Hospice Build 2020 and is expected to meet the ever-increasing need for hospice care in Worcestershire. Hospice Chief Executive June Patel said 
We've recently completed stage one of the building project, thanks to fantastic support from our community, and we've opened the first part of our Living Well Centre. We're now looking forward to stage two, creating a range of specialist therapeutic rooms to expand the centre even more, including an exercise studio, an art studio, horticultural therapy rooms, as well as an occupational therapy training kitchen, plus music and film therapy rooms. We're also building a lovely social and eating space for all, called The Green, which will be at the heart of the hospice. Mrs Patel said, Bigger, multi-purpose spaces will allow us to offer a wider choice of activities to help people manage their illness where appropriate, such as sessions to cope with breathlessness, fatigue, and there'll be exercise groups and creative and music therapies which can increase confidence and independence, bring relief from symptoms, reduce stress, anxiety and depression, and improve sleep. A grandmother says she was inches from serious injury when a van crashed into the front of her car before the driver raced from the scene without stopping. Pauline Ellis, who is 86, was driving home on B4202 between Martley and Lower Broadheath when she claims a van came round the corner travelling too fast, hitting her car head-on. The crash caused substantial damage to her car, smashing the driver's side window and scraping all down the side. Mrs Ellis from Martley was luckily not seriously hurt in the crash, but she was showered with glass and covered in small cuts as the driver's side window was smashed. She said, The van came round the bend at a very high speed. The couple behind me said it looked like he was doing 100 miles an hour, and it took the side off the car. I wasn't badly hurt, just very shocked, and with lots of small cuts, but another few inches either side, and it could have been different. They were travelling towards Worcester, and the young man in the car behind me gave a very good description of it. It was a large silver van. I wouldn't have believed it was possible to go that fast. It completely buckled the tyre on the driver's side. I want to find them, not because of revenge or anything, but because people should be aware of it, because it's awful. I've never seen anything like it. The car is a write-off, so I'll have to look for another one now. It completely sheared the tyre off too. Shocking photos show the damage caused to Mrs Ellis's car on February the 2nd, and she is hoping the driver of the van can be found if her story is told. She said, The police said because it is such a rural area, There is no CCTV cameras around. Anyone who has information or thinks they know the identity of the van driver, you can contact West Mersian Police on 101, quoting incident number 465S02020. A former club could be demolished to make way for an apartment block. The former Royal British Legion Club in Droitwich, which has been empty since closing in July 2016, 
would be demolished and replaced by a three- and four-storey apartment block, according to plans put forward by the Royal British Legion. The Legion Inn, which was the previous home of Deutwich Spa Royal British Legion, closed suddenly three and a half years ago and has remained empty ever since. A total of 22 one- and two-bedroom departments would be built on the former club grounds and car park in Solwatt Road. Affordable housing would not be provided as part of the plan, as the developer, the Royal British Legion, would be entitled to government credit, known as a vacant building credit. Developers can use the credit to offset any contributions they would usually be required to be paid to the council as part of a bid to encourage house building on brownfield land, particularly land with empty buildings. A statement included with the application said, We consider the proposals are aligned to the relevant parts of the development plan. They will provide new homes for smaller households in a highly sustainable location. The site, which has been vacant for some time, will be brought back into positive use where it is unconstrained by ecology, trees and heritage matters. The constraints associated with noise can be mitigated through a series of measures and careful design. Plans can be viewed via... um, Witchhaven District Council's website. Consultation ends on March the 5th. The application number is 20 stroke 00123 stroke out. Over 17,000 items have been saved from landfill after a group was formed to encourage people to exchange or donate their unwanted possessions. Worcestershire Waste Exchange was founded on Facebook in June last year by Alex Giles in a bid to reduce the number of unwanted items binned and sent to landfill. Since the launch, 6,584 members have signed up to the Facebook group. Mrs Giles, aged 28, said, Looking back through analytics of the group, over 17,000 people have posted in the group since it was founded. And as most posts contain one or two items or more, we could have saved anywhere between 17,000 and 34,000 items from going into a landfill across Worcestershire. There have been a number of quirky exchanges throughout the group, including a furniture swap for chocolate. Among the more interesting exchanges was when a Worcester resident helped spread some festive cheer by managing to gather 47 unwanted Christmas trees, decorations and chocolates to hand out to families. Mrs Giles from Broitwich added, It's been really good. So many people post on the page every day. It is awesome. It's so nice that these people want to help others in the community. The success has been a shock. It all started from a little idea on a Sunday morning. Everyone has come together and are actively using the group. It helps people who are going through rough times. It's nice that we have been able to help so many people who have needed support. Some people don't want to ask for help, so the idea of the group is for people to swap or donate their unwanted things. 
In the last seven days, 82 new members have joined, with 1,000 posts and 5,000 comments. Mrs Giles said she is hoping to organise a swap event this year, where any leftover items will be donated to charity. I wanted to say thank you to everyone for making this group for making this group what it is and wanted to especially thank the wonderful admin team who have sifted through well over 17,000 posts, she added. A pub in Tolodyne, Worcester, has permanently shut this week just two months after opening. Marilyn's, which was once the popular farmer's boy in Tolodyne Road, has mysteriously closed without a public explanation. At the time of Marilyn's launch, the pub was described as a new family-oriented venture that took its name from the many pictures of the Hollywood legend Marilyn Monroe that adorned its walls. It's not known why the pub has closed. Marilyn's refused to comment when approached by the Worcester News. It was officially declared open by the Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Alla Dittar, in December, when he celebrated the building's return to use as a social hub for the whole community. At that time, he said, I always like to encourage people to make the most of community facilities. It's use it or lose it. But now, of course, as he said, it's, he's shocked by the closure. He added, I'm so sad to hear this news, such a shame. We should be trying our best to support small businesses in the local area. If I'd known that Marilyn's was struggling, I would have tried to help. When I opened it, I remember thinking how great it was. The staff were lovely and the venue was really well done. They did a wonderful job of it. I can't believe it's gone so soon. Tolodyne has certainly lost a special part of the community. I hope another business will be able to thrive in these premises it would be terrible to see them left empty. A long-awaited opening date for the new multi-million pound Worcestershire Parkway has still not been confirmed, with some safety tests now finished, but rumours that the station would finally be open this weekend were quashed. Worcestershire County Council has said the much-delayed opening of the £22 million station was down to long but necessary safety tests, which had to be completed before Worcestershire Parkway could open to the public. The Office of Rail and Road, the body responsible for safety regulations of railways, said it had now completed all the necessary safety tests and it was up to the council when the station would open. A potential opening date of February the 9th was not confirmed by either Worcestershire County Council or the Office of Rail and Road. A spokesman said... The Office of Rail and Road has now granted the necessary authorisation for Worcestershire Parkway Station to enter into service. The County Council said the station was still going through checks and the sign-off from the Office of Rail and Road was just one part of the process. A spokesman for the County Council said, Worcestershire Parkway Station is going through the final stages of the complex rail industry, entry into service process, which all the new structures, equipment and facilities are being tested and commissioned. As soon as this process is complete, a date will be confirmed for the station to open. 
The County Council said last week, which was January the 31st, that services would be stopped at Worcestershire Parkway as soon as it opens and the trains do not yet appear on some timetables as they are hidden by railway companies until an opening date was revealed. The County Council said it expects to open well before the new timetable is released in May but has still not yet given a definite date. Train timetables have to be agreed months, if not years, before new stations open, so it could be shown that services could call at the station without impacting other routes and stations across the railway network, And county, the County Council said. And now we have some um, sport that might be of interest to you. Um, this one is about um, the Brain is City's match winner again at TV. It's a, a football um, piece. History repeated itself as Sean Brain bagged the only goal in City's second 1-0 win at Tividale inside a fortnight. This time it was Midland Football League Premier Division points up for grabs and to their credit struggling TV carried a far more credible threat than in the League Cup outing. Again, it was scruffy and direct on a tough, heavy pitch, but Brain notched the nine minutes after his introduction from the bench, sharpening up City's attack alongside fellow substitute Marco Adagio. City wobbled under aerial bombardment early on, but gradually regained composure and probably edged the rest of the first half. Craig Jones nodded wide of the near post shortly before half-time from the only proper chance of the opening 45 minutes. City stepped it up from the restart with Liam Lockett swinging high and wide from a Jamie Smith centre just before the hour. Brain replaced the lively Demetri Brown who hit the deck with an ankle injury and immediately had the chance to net but avert Tivy keeper Adam Harrison quickly rushed to his feet to save the day. At the other end, Dan Smith might have done better from Brad Welding's deep, driven ball before TV wasted an absolute sitter. Dan Smith turned provider with a looping ball that bounced past Dara Bustin and City defender Joe Hawkins, dropping for Luke Carter to clear the bar when all alone from six yards at the far post. A routine ball over the top helped Brain to punish that miss, scampering in behind as Welding slipped and fell, keeping his balance to wriggle past Harrison and tuck into the gaping net. Tivy gradually gained territory in chasing the game, but flattened to deceive the third and final with Bustin's centre bobbling by substitute Ryan Booth. City keeper Gabriel Barijami. I'm sorry, I don't have the rest of that um, to to tell you about. But um, oh, sorry, it's up here. I'm sorry. Um, City keeper Gabriel Barijami called up to start at 7 p.m. with Dan Jessup feeling ill, slapped over Booth's long-range drive, four minutes from the end, and Tivy couldn't muster much to worry him from there. Victory moved City up to 11th in the table, leapfrogging Highgate United and the AFC Wolforians.
Worcester Warriors ace Michael Fatialofa has been released from hospital and will now continue his recovery in a spinal rehab clinic, his Instagram account confirmed yesterday. The 27-year-old New Zealander has spent the last month in hospital in London following the injury he sustained back at the start of the year in the game against Saracens. Fatia Lofa's wife, Tatiana, has been updating fans via social media since the injury and yesterday posted on Fatia Lofa's own account confirming he had left hospital. The post read, After a month in hospital, finally solid enough to move to the spinal rehab clinic. Doctors, nurses and physios have been amazing and I'm overwhelmed by the love and support from family and friends. Thanks for riding with me. The marathon continues. Hash Professor X. Now some cricket news relating to our local players. Worcestershire wicketkeeper Ben Cox has been called up to the England Lions squad for the remaining four matches of the 50-over series in Australia, replacing the injured Tom Moores. He was injured during training on Sunday and with the four matches being played in the space of only eight days, the decision was made for him to return to England to recover. The Lions will face Cricket Australia in two more limited over matches on the Gold Coast, having won the first match last week in Sydney. They then travel back to Sydney to play two more matches against a New South Wales eleven. Meanwhile, seven of Worcestershire's young academy players are heading to India later this month to reap the benefits of the Global Cricket School. Alex Hinckley, Peter Clark, Ed Bragg, Josh Dickinson, Henry Cullen, Rehan Edvalath and Harry Cook will fly out to Mumbai on February the 14th for the nine-day trip. They'll be accompanied by the academy coach Elliot Wilson and the head of coach and player development Kevin Sharp. They're all part of the current 2019-2020 intake. The other two, Reeve Evitz and Ollie Walker, they're part of the under-17 squad who will be in action in St Lucia at the same time. Wilson believes the sheer volume of cricket training and conversations about cricket and how batsmen and bowlers learn to cope with different conditions to those in England will be of enormous benefit to these lads in their bid to become professional cricketers. He added, it's always been identified that what we'd love to be able to do is provide this overseas experience for our best young players. And Sashin Bajaj, who runs the Global Cricket School, has been supporting groups from England going out to India now for the last 15 years. And this year we've got the capacity to do it. Just before Christmas I sat down with Sashin and we were able to organise the trip for this February half term. We'll have eight, eight days on Indian soil, training with seven of the academy players and we're looking very much forward to taking them away. With these young lads, I don't think anyone realises just how much cricket they have to physically do to get there where they need to be to have a chance of becoming a professional cricketer. 
that the sheer quantity of contact time and seven or eight days of just nothing but cricket conversations and training can only be beneficial. There's also the specific intention to see how to bowl on different surfaces. We've got a good few spinners in the group and we also must learn how to bat on these surfaces. It'll be quite exciting. Lots of local bowlers come in and bowl from around the Mumbai area morning and afternoon at our lads. Worcestershire have made several trips to the school in recent years, but this is the first time a full group of academy players have been chosen. Of the established team, back in 2015, Daryl Mitchell, Tom Fell, Brett Oliveira and Joss Dell all made the trip. And two years ago, Ben Cox and Fell, Ed Barnard and Ben Tuig also went there. Now back to the news. A plan to build 196 homes as the latest part of a major urban extension of Pershaw looks set to be approved. Charles Church Development Limited, part of the Persimmon Group, revealed plans to build a mix of one to four bed homes and apartments on land off Station Road in Pershaw in September last year, after permission for a nearly five-year-old plan expired. The plan will be put to councillors for a decision this week, with a recommendation by the council's planning department that the plan should be approved, which Avon District Council gave an initial green light to Persimmon to build 176 homes on the same piece of land, whittled down slightly from the original plan to build 190 homes in April 2014. The plan was eventually signed off and the councillors again agreed to the plan in September 2015, but the planning permission expired after no work was carried out. The homes would be built on the northern tip of the Pershaw North Urban Extension, opposite Pershaw High School and Pershaw Industrial Estate, as allocated in the South Worcestershire Development Plan, the SWDP, and lies to the north and east of the Persimmons home, homes that have already been built or nearly c- completed. Persimmons has permission to build up to 260 homes on land to the south of Station Road. Allowing the 196 homes to be built would pass the number specified in the South Worcestershire Development Plan by 20 homes. The urban extension of Pershaw, earmarked in the SWDP, includes plans for up to 695 homes. The council said it was not concerned by surpassing the number of homes earmarked in the SWDP as more than half of the land higher than the usual 40%, would be open and green space. Of the 196 homes, 78 would be classed as affordable in line with council policy. The councillors asked for a contribution of £821,000 towards the new Pershaw Link Road and Pinvin Crossroads, £20,000 for new bus stops at Pershaw High School and almost £12,000 for other highway and pavement improvements. Worcestershire County Council has asked for almost £2 million in contributions for primary and secondary schools in and around the area, which Avon District Council's planning committee meets at 2pm 
uh, on Thursday, February the 6th, which is today, in the Civic Centre in Pershaw to make a decision. The council will be paying to fix slippery changing room floors at a city swimming pool after it has taken three years to get the work done. Worcester City Council said it is almost there with treating the swimming pool changing room floors at Perdiswell Leisure Centre after the lack of work was raised as a concern in a report by Freedom Leisure. Freedom Leisure, which runs the centre on behalf of the City Council, highlighted the lack of non-slip floors as a major weakness in its annual report presented to the Council's Communities Committee on Thursday, January the 29th. Freedom Leisure also revealed the state of the changing room floor was one of its most complained about subjects. Councillor Roger Berry believed the slippy changing room floors had been a problem from the beginning and asked why something had not been done sooner. He said he had raised the faults with the floor after receiving complaints from visitors. However, Councillor Berry said he was pleased that action seemed to be taking place and the problem would soon be fixed, but admitted the work should, have been, um, should not have taken years to complete. Clearly it has been a matter of concern for some time, he said. The trouble is the non-slip floor should have been installed in the first place and clearly from Freedom Leisure's report it has been a problem for some time. I am pleased that work will soon be or is soon to be carried out but I really think it should not have taken what must have been at least three if not four years. Lloyd Griffiths, Director for Homes and Communities at the Council, said the Council was prepared to pay for treating the changing room floors to bring them up to standard. Mr Griffiths said the Council was almost there with sorting the problem out. The multi-million pound Perdiswell Leisure Centre opened in January 2017. Freedom Leisure was unable to comment. A councillor denied threatening to close a city library in frustration over the county council's lack of action over a transport strategy. Councillor Roger Berry suggested Worcester City Council should hold on to money it had promised to spend on keeping Warnden and St John's libraries open until Worcestershire County Council produces a long-awaited and much-delayed transport strategy. Councillor Berry said a few heads needed knocking together at the County Council and perhaps holding on to the money might get the transport study finished. Perhaps we should withdraw the support for the library service then if the County Council doesn't come to terms with it. My concern is that we may have to threaten somebody if we are going to get people to the table for the transport plan. After he was criticised for making the threat by council leader, Councillor Mark Bayliss, Councillor Berry said he had never suggested closing the library and withdrew his suggestion the council should not hand over agreed collaborative money between the city and county council. Perhaps me raising it has put it as a priority. Never have I suggested closing Warnden Library, he said, Councillor Bayliss said it was an extraordinary proposal to be threatening a library in Warnden and Labour councillors had led a campaign of fear about library closures across the city during the County Council's review last year. 
I don't think libraries should ever be used as a pawn, he said. Councillor Joyce Squires said the comment was out of sheer frustration at the lack of action over the County Council's transport strategy, which seemed to be dragging on and on. She said the frustration was held by many, at least privately, around the table. Councillor Squires said it was difficult to restrain themselves when Councillor Geraghty, leader of the County Council, was sitting at the table, but only with his City Council hat on. During last year's budget, the City Council and the other five district councils in Worcestershire agreed to hand over extra money from the county's 75% business rate retention scheme, which meant around £4.9 million stayed in the county uh, to the county council to help pay for adult social care. During budget discussions, £250,000 was put aside to aid greater collaboration between county and city, of which £150,000 would be spent annually to support the running of St John's and Warnden libraries. A new industrial estate in Droitwich looks set to get planning permission despite worried neighbours raising concerns about noise and pollution from an influx of lorries. A plan to build a 32-unit industrial estate on Brownfield land off Salwarp Road in Droitwich will go before planning committee at Witchhaven District Council this very day, February the 6th. With a recommendation, it should be approved. But residents fear the extra traffic would damage an area already plagued by noisy lorries. A turning area for visiting lorries would also be built on the north of the site. A total of 23 objections were made against the plan, largely concerned by the added noise, light and air pollution from the new units on top of existing pollution from the existing industrial estates and the railway line. Some objections also question whether the new industrial estate was needed in the town. John Berry of Vernon Grove said this proposed site is not suitable for industrial units and the associated traffic it will create. This is a residential area and has been for many years. There are many more suitable vacant sites near other industrial estates. Given the number of vacant industrial estates in and around Droitwich, why do we need any more? With the growth of residential developments in Droitwich, surely better use could be made of the land, such as shops or recreational development. The industrial estate would be around 800 metres from the town centre and 450 metres from Roman Way Retail Park which already has a Lidl and Aldi and DFS, and Home Bargains plans to open its first Droitwich store in a unit left vacant by home base. A plan to build 34 homes on this land was refused by Council in December 2015, and a subsequent appeal was dismissed in September 2016. The industrial estate would be open for office space, light industry, industrial, storage and distribution businesses. 
The number of extra journeys caused by the new industrial site would give an extra 83 trips in the morning and evening rush hours and about 470 extra trips on an average every day. This is according to an assessment by the Areas Transport uh, Applications Procedure. Around 30 of those trips would be made by heavy goods vehicles, HGVs, largely on Solwerp Road, from where the site would be accessed. The plans also include 117 parking spaces. Amazon is teaming up with the British Heart Foundation to teach its Worcester-based delivery drivers CPR. The BHF announced that it is helping to train drivers who deliver parcels to Amazon customers across Worcester in life-saving CPR so that they can respond to emergencies when out on the road. They are working in partnership with Amazon and more than 100 independent delivery companies across the UK to offer the free training to thousands of drivers. Every year in the UK, there are up to 30,000 cardiac arrests outside of a hospital setting. Somehow the survival rate, sorry, I beg your pardon. Um, However, the survival rate is less than one in 10 for every minute that passes without CPR or defibrillation, the chance of survival reduces by up to 10%. Jacob West, Director of Healthcare Innovation at the British Heart Foundation, said, CPR is a life-saving skill that only takes 30 minutes to learn. Unfortunately, in the UK, there are far too many people dying of a cardiac arrest, often because people don't have the skills or confidence to perform CPR. It's vital that CPR training reaches as many people as possible. Drivers deliver Amazon orders to millions of people across the UK every year. This unique partnership will mean we put potential lifesavers onto every street in the UK. A cardiac arrest can happen anywhere to anyone, but more lives can be saved thanks to Amazon's commitment to training drivers of more than 100 independent delivery companies. Kerry ann Lawlaw, County Director of Amazon Logistics, added... We regularly see examples where drivers delivering Amazon parcels for our delivery service partners act selflessly when out on their routes to help others. We're delighted to work with the British Heart Foundation to be able to offer drivers life-saving CPR training to respond in emergency situations. This is not the first time Amazon and BHF have teamed up. In 2018, the British Heart Foundation were the first organisation in the world to enable supporters to arrange a collection of furniture and electrical items through Amazon Alexa and the first UK charity to receive donations through Amazon Pay. Staff from a Worcester law firm have helped pay for almost a year's fuel for a charity which helps get the elderly out and about. Harrison Clark Rickaby's staff have donated £2,500 from the HCR Charitable Foundation to Worcestershire Wheels, which helps elderly, disabled or vulnerable people get to hospital appointments, school, out for the day or to meet up with friends. 
The money will cover the cost of fuel for one of the charity's minibuses for 50 weeks. The buses run five days a week and get through £50 worth of fuel a week. John Warham, chair of the charity's trustees, said, So many people find other forms of transport very difficult to use, so this is a vital service. We take children with learning difficulties to school and back. We help elderly people not only to get to important appointments, but also get them out to see friends and relatives and we give people some independence. We are very grateful for this generous donation. We want to be able to continue to help as many people as we can. We know that many of the people who use our service are otherwise housebound or have very limited mobility. The service is their lifeline in many ways. The service runs with a handful of paid staff and a large group of volunteers. They offer a fixed-rate service within three zones centred on Worcester and calculate one-off rates for trips which go further afield. The charity serves about 600 people of all ages. Dawn Oliver of the HCR Charitable Foundation said, I'm so glad that we have been able to make a real difference to the people who use Worcester Wheels. They provide an excellent service and we're delighted to be helping to keep them on the road. Harrison Clark Rickabees has more than 500 staff and partners based at offices in Worcester, Hereford, Birmingham, Cardiff, Cheltenham, the Wye Valley, Cambridge and the Thames Valley and in central London who provide a complete spectrum of legal services to both business and private clients regionally and nationally. The firm also has a number of highly successful teams specialising in individual market sectors including health and social care, education, technology, agricultural and rural affairs, finance and financial services defence, security and the forces and construction. More than a thousand Wire Forest school children are hoping to earn the royal seal of approval from Prince Charles by working in harmony to create a balanced, sustainable world. Different year groups from six primary schools met up this week to take part in a series of pioneering workshops based around the Prince's philosophy of how reconnecting with nature could lead to a better future. Reception to Year 6 classes from Seven Academies Educational Trust Family of Schools investigated ideas and solutions to the crisis created by the modern world that threatens the planet. The workshops were videoed and a film of the Trust's first Children's Day will be sent to the Prince Charles. Starport Primary Academy head teacher Jackie Elwes said, The activities are based on nature's principles of harmony, life cycles, interdependency, the geometry of nature, diversity, adaptation, health and oneness, all described in Prince Charles' 2010 book, Harmony. Workshop activities range from cooking soup to brick wall art, from building with spaghetti and marshmallows to music, drama, origami, printing with fruit, seed planting and yoga. Mrs Elwes said, 
The content of the day was so inspiring and the children and staff came away absolutely buzzing with bucket loads of ideas to develop in their own schools. There is no priority more crucial than sustaining our world so these children and future generations can enjoy a more considered, secure, comfortable and cleaner world. Coming together also helps build new relationships between our pupils and our staff, who may, like the principles of harmony explain, come from different schools, but through being part of the trust, can work together in unity and diversity. A councillor is urging residents worried about a bank closure to use their local post office. It was reported on Wednesday last week that the Lloyds Bank in New Road St John's is closing later in the year and St John's City Councillor Richard Udall has said I'm encouraging people to use the only remaining banking facility left in St John's and that's the post office in King Charles Place. They can offer banking for a number of outlets including Lloyds. This is a shame. Lloyds will be the ones losing out on custom. I'm very disappointed. Jobs will go when the bank closes and the impact of this on local businesses. I want to encourage people to shop locally and use local services as much as they can. But many of the elderly in St John's rely on Lloyds for their banking needs. There's a sheltered housing complex just across the road from the bank I know many residents there use that bank. It's so easy for them to get to. It's not so long ago, he said, where there was a, when there was a Barclays, an HSBC and a NatWest in St John's in addition to Lloyd's. An RAF veteran has written to Lloyd's to express his dismay. Bill Meadows, who's 84, said, when I left the REF in 1957, I thought it was time I opened a bank account and I chose Lloyd's in St John's and I used that branch. It's so easy to park. Everyone in St John's will now have to cross the river to get into the city and the roads are already chocked and parking can be next to impossible. Surely it would have been better to expand the St John's branch rather than close it. It is one of 56 branches for the CHOP who are going to close between April and October 2020. A Lloyds Banking Group spokeswoman said, We're committed to having the largest branch network in the UK and in addition to our branches, all our customers can use the post office to access their banking locally alongside other mobile branches which visit many rural communities. But all this is in response to changing customer behaviours and the reduced number of transactions. A search for a bone marrow donor has begun for an eight-year-old girl after her little sister was ruled out of becoming a donor. Mum, Kaylee Chapman, faced a heartbreaking dilemma after medics struggled to take blood from Kira Filmer, seven in a first step towards her potentially becoming a donor for her big sister, Lily May, who has leukaemia. It had been hoped that Kira would have given her stem cells to her sister, but this has been ruled out after the little girl became distressed. Mrs Chapman said, It's quite difficult to get a seven-year-old to consent to a medical procedure 
when they don't really understand it. It took 45 minutes to persuade Kira to let the nurses put the needle in, and then, when they did, the vein popped. They had to try again, and at that point I broke down. I was in a situation where I had to put one of my children through something horrible to save the other one. Lily's family from Drake's Broughton are now appealing for a donor to come forward to help her after discovering that despite initially beating lipoblastic leukaemia, she has relapsed four months later. Mrs Champion said, We're feeling numb, really numb, anxious and scared. Lots of weird feelings and not really knowing which one is the right one. Lily takes everything in her stride. This was our worst fear. It took me about an hour to get the courage to tell her she had relapsed. But she is absolutely amazing, and I get quite a lot of my strength from her. Mrs Chapman is confined, sorry, is confident a bone marrow donor will be found for Lily, and she said it will mean the world. It means absolutely everything. It's literally saving my daughter's life. Anyone who is on a register is saving someone's life. It's such a selfless thing to do. More people need to get on the register because for some people it's the last resort. There's no other way. A swab drive will be held at Pershaw Town Football Club on March the 1st where anyone between the ages of 18 to 55 and in general good health can register and give a simple swab sample to see if they are a match for Lily. The Best of Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons is a spectacular, high-pitched celebration of timeless music from one of the biggest-selling groups of all time. And the good news is, it's coming to the Swan Theatre here in Worcester. A spokesman said, This nostalgic musical journey pays tribute to the life and career of those four boys from Jersey who started singing under a street lamp but soon went on to become one of the most recognised groups in history. From the streets of New Jersey to the dizzying heights of the West End and Broadway, this incredible music has delighted audiences for over five decades. The Best of Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons features all your favourite songs, including Sherry, My Eyes Adored You, Big Girls Don't Cry, Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, Walk Like a Man and many more. The spokesman added, featuring cast members from the smash hit Tony Award winning musical Jersey Boys and other hit West End shows, and supported by an exceptional live band, the best of Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons is guaranteed to leave you saying, Oh, what a night! Walk like a man to get there, or use another form of transport. The show takes place on February the 13th at 7.30pm, and for tickets you can ring 01905 611 427. Tributes have been paid to a martial arts instructor who set up a popular karate club in Worcester. Eddie Daniels died during a family holiday to Turkey on January the 20th. The 70-year-old was a world leader teaching karate, competing and winning many awards. Mr Daniels founded the 
Shukakai Karate Federation in Worcester in 1980 and the club is now established at St John's Sports Centre. Mr Daniels started training karate in 1965 and in 1968, having had some training in Wado Ryu, he changed karate style to Shukakai training under Master Kimura until his untimely death in 1995. He was a member of the All Styles British squad from 1970 to 1975, and in the 1990s he became one of the four world chief instructors for Kimura Shukakai International. Mr Daniels had the title of Shihan, a senior instructor, and in 1999 he was awarded a special award from Combat magazine for his outstanding contribution towards the development of martial arts in the United Kingdom and the world. His wife, Solfred, who has also helped run the club, said, he will be well known in Worcester. He enjoyed lots of success and travelled all across the world teaching students. He passed away in his sleep unexpectedly. Ryan Cox, one of the students who attends the St John's Club, added, Even though he has achieved a great deal in the competition field, his main emphasis was on teaching the true martial art, where self-discipline, etiquette and respect are of prime importance. Without these aspects, a student cannot develop the type of character necessary to follow the way of the martial arts. Sheehan Daniels was one of the most experienced instructors of any style in Great Britain, with over five decades of experience. He was Master Kimura's most senior European instructor. Mr Daniels is survived by wife Solfrid, son Adun and granddaughter Mia. His funeral details are yet to be arranged. The demolition of a former city swimming pool to make way for new homes looked finally set to go ahead by the end of the year, the councillors said. The derelict former Sansom Walk swimming pool, which closed in December 2016, was due to have been demolished earlier this year, but work was delayed due to a higher-than-expected amount of asbestos found in the building and buried in the ground. The city councillor said it's still looking for a company to carry out the demolition of the building, but still expects the work to start by the end of this year. And the cost of demolishing this former swimming pool has already risen to at least 2.2 million. Council consultant Gleeds will carry out some more tests at the site next week to prepare for the demolition and this will include some extra digging. The council said it will have to close the permit holder car park um, near the swimming pool between 9am and 5pm and that was for last Monday, February the 3rd. The council's already decided this site should be used for housing, but has not yet found a suitable developer. And the search for this developer will run alongside the demolition work. A planning application would still have to be submitted and go through the usual process before any work can take place. 
The council has been in discussion with the organisation Homes England, which has access to about 40 approved developers, regarding potentially building houses on the sites of former swimming pool, and also whether it could offer any money to support making the sites safe and ready for development. But to access grant money from Homes England, a development would need to be of at least 50 homes. And even more money would be needed to make the site safe and ready for development. But there isn't even an estimate yet of that cost. It's also been proposed by the council that the scheme would be over and above in terms of environmental sustainability, particularly with the council now declaring a climate emergency and committing itself to go carbon neutral by 2030. Discussions by councillors in July of last year revealed that they were expecting demolition to have started and be finished by last October. They originally backed plans to demolish the former swimming pool in January 2017, after concerns were raised about that the derelict site would become a target for vandals and trespassers. The world's tallest basketball player paid a visit to a primary school to deliver a talk to the students about his journey and challenges within the sport. Perrywood Primary Nursery School welcomed Paul Sturgis, who is famous for holding a Guinness World Record as the tallest professional basketball player in the world. Standing tall at 7 foot 8 inches, Paul has also been recognised as Britain's tallest man. The day provided an opportunity for the pupils at Perrywood to meet him in person and learn exciting and impressive basketball skills directly from the professional himself. Suzanne Beston, head teacher, said, We are delighted to be able to provide this experience for our pupils. Our children have learned so much today and are truly inspired. At Perrywood, we have high aspirations and pride ourselves on identifying how each of our children are unique. We provide opportunities to help them develop and thrive in their unique skills and talents. So Paul was a perfect visitor to support and further promote our ethos. We cannot thank him enough for today. To start the day off on January the 27th, pupils and staff enjoyed an informative assembly led by Paul, where he spoke of his professional career in basketball and how his uniqueness allowed him to thrive within this sport and become a proud and international player for the Harlem Globetrotters. The Harlem Globetrotters are an American exhibition basketball team. They combine athleticism, theatre and comedy in their style of play. Paul's also shared with the school how challenges such as discrimination from others helped to make him a stronger person. Later in the day, pupils took part in workshops where they learnt and developed key basketball skills such as dribbling, passing and teamwork. Perrywood Primary and Nursery School is a member of the Griffith Schools Trust and is located in Ronxwood, Worcester. Blood donors in the city are being asked to book an appointment now if they want to give blood before the summer. 
A session will also be held at Lippard Grange Community Centre in Warndon between 9am and 4pm on Sunday, May the 10th. Sessions in Warndon on March the 1st, April the 19th and May the 24th are already fully booked. Appointments are available at a session on Thursday, May the 28th between 1pm and 7.30pm at Christopher Whitehead Language College in Bromwich Road. Sessions at Worcester Methodist Church Hall in Pump Street on March the 17th, April the 21st and May the 19th are already fully booked, but some appointments may become available. And it has been advised to regularly check the Give Blood website. Appointments to donate must be made in advance. If you would like to donate, visit blood.co.uk or call 0300 one two three two three two three to book an appointment. An online petition to stop a housing development being built near an ancient woodland has been launched. Members of the Protecting Pershaw's Woodland Group set up the e-petition on Witchhaven District Council's website to formally request a proposal to build 450 houses in the fields adjoining Tiddersley Wood, is withdrawn from the South Worcestershire Development Plan. This follows on from eight eight weeks of active campaigning during the consultation period in November, which saw two peaceful protests of nearly 300 people held both at the Civic Centre and the SWDP exhibition. A record number of local residents turned out on November the 13th to see the SWDP plans, with a further 250 crowded into the library on November the 19th. Now residents are asking Witchhaven to remove the land at Orchard Farm off Defford Road to protect the ancient woodland and its wildlife. Tiddersley Wood was formed after the last Ice Age and is over 6,000 years old. It is home to the rare noble Schaefer beetle, horseshoe bats and many other protected wildlife. The Town Council voted unanimously in November to reject the proposal and the Face Group group has more than 1,500 active members. So far, 1,103 signatures have been obtained online with just 897 more needed to ensure that Witchhaven District Council debate the issue. Newly re-elected MP Harriet Baldwin, a member of Worcestershire Wildlife Trust, which owns the woodland, is also supporting the petition. She said, I encourage as many people as possible to sign the Witchhaven e-petition to illustrate the strength of feeling on this issue. I have written myself and have spoken to the leader of Witchhaven, as well as on behalf of all my constituents who have written to me with their grave concerns. Fellow campaigner Councillor Val Wood said, I am delighted to see that our MP is fully behind our protests at the potential desecration of our ancient woodland and adjoining fields. I have yet to meet anyone who is in favour of it. I urge everyone to help us stop this ludicrous proposal and help us to preserve our 6,000-year-old woodland and protect its wildlife. 
climate crisis is real and we need to act now by holding Westminster to their election promises and doing all we can to save our environment. And that nearly brings us to the end of um, tonight's uh, reading. Uh, we just, to let you know, the lighting up time is 17.05 to 7.42. Um, birthdays this week are just the one, Sonia Duggan, on the 9th. We wish you a very happy birthday. If there is anybody else who uh, we haven't mentioned, please let us know. Um, emergency phone numbers for out-of-hours medical assistance from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. is 0300-123-3211. And the NHS number for non-emergency help is 111. Malvern Theatre telephone number 01684-892277. Worcester Live is 611429, which covers the Swan and Huntington Hall. Worcester Hub numbers for council matters is 765765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers telephone number 0800 Our phone number is 01905 and our address is 11 Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. Our website address is www.worcestertalkingnews.org.uk on which you can find all the recordings for the weekly news and monthly magazines and much more. Well worth listening to. We greatly value your feedback, likes or dislikes or changes you may like made. Just let us know either by phone or pop a note into your envelopes. We'd love to hear from you. And just a reminder to the listeners that the Bible verse and obituaries will be after the final music. From all of us, goodbye. Thought for the day. Isaiah 40 verse 21 to 22. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. And the obituaries for this week. Maureen Florence Birch, nay Munn, died at Ashwood Care Home, Warminster, on the 20th of January, aged 86. The funeral service was today. Christopher John Cooper, formerly Curly, known as Chris, proprietor for Man for a Van, passed away peacefully on January the 12th, age 76. The funeral also was today. John Lewis passed away peacefully on January the 12th, aged 89. The funeral service will take place at the Vale Crematorium in Fladbury on February the 11th at 12 noon. Raymond Neathway passed away peacefully on January the 17th, aged 89. The funeral was today. Janet Alice Margaret Whitcomb, nay Coombe, known as Jenny, passed away on January the 15th, aged 85. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 7th at 1pm. John Wilde of Sherwood Lane passed away on January the 6th, aged 85. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium 
on February the 7th at 10am. Martin John passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on January the 9th, aged 87. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 14th at 12.15. Neil McKay sadly passed away on January the 9th, aged 64. The service is at Wire Forest Crematorium on February the 7th at 1.30. Dorothy May Heath, known as Dot, passed away on January the 21st, aged 79. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 17th at 3.15. Walter Francis Henry Humphreys passed away on January the 15th, aged 86. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 10th at 1.45. Ada Priest passed away on January the 21st, aged 83. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 10th at 3.15. James Robert Andrew Archson Hill, known as Jim, passed away on January the 19th, aged 27. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 13th at 1.45. Alan Edward Harrison, formerly of Ombersley, died at home on January the 28th, aged 61. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 24th at 3.15. Rose Parrish, known as Ross, former head of special needs at Blessed Edward Old Court School, Passed away peacefully on January the 15th, aged 82. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 11th at 11.30. Kieran Charles Wall sadly passed away on January the 22nd. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 7th at 12.15. Jack Evans of Pershaw passed away on the 27th of January. The funeral service is at Pershaw Abbey on the 13th of February at 11am. Joan Margaret Meesham passed away at the Royal Worcester Hospital on January the 29th, age 77. The funeral service is at St Stephen's Church in Droitwich Road on February the 12th at 11.20. Cynthia Jean Shepherd, known as Jean, Passed away on January the 24th. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 20th at 1pm. Michael John Starkey, known as Mick, passed away peacefully on January the 20th, aged 77. The funeral will take place at Worcester Crematorium on February the 18th at 10am. Noel Alsop, retired veterinary surgeon, passed away on, I beg your pardon, I think that's Noel Alsop, Retired veterinary surgeon, passed away on January the 25th, aged 89. The service of Thanksgiving is at Wood Green Evangelican Church on February the 13th at 3.30. Colin James Bowen Broomfield died at home on February the 1st, aged 52. The funeral service and internment will take place on the 13th of February at 2pm at St Mary's Church, Elmbridge. Robert John Dutson, known as Fatty and Dutty, of Gregory Bank, passed away on January the 26th, age 66. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 17th at 10am. Rose Margaret Haynes, known as Marge, died peacefully on January the 28th. The funeral service is at St John's Church, Worcester, on February the 12th at 2pm. 
John David Lambert passed away on January the 18th, age 79. The funeral service is at St. Peter's Church in Bushley. That's GL26HP is the postcode. On February the 14th at 11am. Anthony Heathcliff Pratt, known as Tony, passed away at Worcester Royal Hospital, age 77. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on February the 13th at 11am. Our thoughts and prayers are with all the families.